the only way that we are going to get out of the housing shortage that we're in is we have to build our way out of it. I know there's a lot of building going on in the multifamily space. There's a building going on in the single family space, but not enough on the starter home side. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Welcome back, my great to wealth listeners. Today we have Maureen McCann. Maureen, how are you? I am fantastic. It is just a delight to be here. I'm so grateful for the opportunity well, to thank share. you. Maureen, when I was looking at your profile, what really intrigued me and put me back in my investment journey, I started with turnkeys. And I'm going to work the turnkey landscape from me. I don't invest in turnkeys anymore. But since I say graduated or moved on, doesn't mean it's a bad asset class. What I really like about that is it's really, 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 once you find the good operator, which is key, once you find the good operator, it's really the most passive it can be. The hardest decision is to make the decision. And then once you make the decision, everything else kind of flows very easy from that, that which is true for a lot of passive investments. Well, here, once you're talking about you, you're really, if you need to break that pattern of, I don't even know what to invest in. I don't know how to invest outside of my local area, passive, but I don't want to get involved. Turnkey investment properties are probably, I think you should have me as a spokesperson. You should probably, uh, <laughs> turnkey is going to be the way to do it right? To break you out of the shell. And then you can continue doing that or you can take a different route. That's perfectly fine. Of course, Maureen, that's really where I thought that we can bring some perspective to our listeners of what's happening in the market in turnkey right now, where things are going with all the capital markets in flux, everything. There's a lot of doom and gloom. And in the doom and gloom is where the money is made. The part of the conversation is to kind of make sure people look at it from the right perspective for somebody who is not biased like me, because I'm biased with investments, but in general, but you are an operator, right? So you mm-hmm. can tell us what's happening on the field. So Ryan, with that picture, thank you again for being on the show. We really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I am happy to contribute to this conversation because there's a lot to share. So we yeah. are in flux. I think we find ourselves in a situation where you've got bank failures, you have rising interest rates, you have inflation that's cooling, but not fast enough. You have big tech companies laying off people, but yet the job report is showing strong signs of not declining. So what has happened historically sort of during a recession, and I use air quotes, (laughs) it's not following the norm. So flux, I think an extremely good word to use what's happening here. I will also add that... I was going to say, Maureen, before we go that direction... I want to give some background and context by you, and then we'll take a detour into that. I really want to understand your story, right? Because you didn't wake up one day and just said, I want to be a turnkey provider because it's a lot of work. So we'd love to understand your journey. Then we'll take the conversation into what's happening right now. What do you see? How did you get into this business? What's your migration journey? Oh, that's a good question. So I will tell you, it started with a haunting thought. And here's the one thought that came through my mind. I was probably... I want to say in my late 30s, and I was working in uh, working for a corporation, W2 Wage Earner, and I remember thinking, I don't want to wake up when I'm 50, having to ask permission from a boss. David mm-hmm. hate saying that word, yeah. right? From a boss who's most likely younger than me, who I'm going to have to, have to beg and plead and ask for my 10 lousy days of vacation yeah. to go take my kids somewhere, right? That was a driving thought for how I wanted to change my life and do something different. I'm going to take a long story and condense Mm -hmm. that relation. So I went to my first real estate seminar. I was actually, it was in Los Angeles and heard the information, had the sales pitch, knew that I needed to do something different. If I wanted a different outcome, I knew I had to do something different. And then here comes the sales pitch, three days of seeding your mind. Like you can't do this without us. So pay us $10,000 and we'll show you everything that you need to learn. And I actually did not have the $10,000. I borrowed it from my 401k, right? Which Susie Orman fanatics would go bonkers saying, you're going to lose on compound interest. That's a stupid thing to do. But I was willing to invest in myself because I wanted a different outcome. 
didn't come from money. My family, they didn't learn how to get their money to make money for them. They always traded their time for money. I was on the same course and I wanted something different because I didn't want to yeah. have to ask permission. So here we go. I took the, I signed up the $10,000. I borrowed it from my 401k. It led me to my first turnkey company where I bought two investment properties using a non-recourse loan through my self-directed IRA, paying 9.9%, which would shock a lot of people, but I still cash flowed, so I didn't care. I did it anyway. Those properties are now paid off in full in my Roth IRA, filling that account with thousands of dollars per month. Great. So then that company that I bought my first two properties from in Memphis, I hosted an event. I paid for it. I got my doctors, because I was a drug rep at the time, got my doctors to come in. They bought a bunch of properties. They hired me. I left the pharmaceutical world that was working for this company for five years. I met my business partners in 2012. We formed Spartan in 2013. We've been in business now for the last 10 years with, say, our revenue last year was $55 million. But I want to say this with your listeners, because this is really important. Had I not invested that money in that training course, basically it was in myself. Had I not done that, if I just said, you know what? No, I'm not going to take that bitch. And I'm going to go back to doing what I was doing before. I wouldn't be here, right? Because I wouldn't have, if, when I invested the 10000 I met my good friend, Randy, who then invested in the Memphis company. I then invested in the Memphis company. The Memphis company hired me. Then I met my business partners. Now I'm here with you. Had I let fear and that money writing that check stop me, then everything that has happened in the last 15 years would have not even been to fruition. I would have been bouncing around from one pharmaceutical company to the next, being hired and fired and rehired or laid off and rehired. And that's what a lot of my friends who stayed in that industry, that's what's happened to them. That's not what's happened to me because I made a choice to do something different. Oh my God, Maureen, this is such a powerful story, right? I think there's so many nuggets in there. We're going to draw a few of those out. I think they're going to be very helpful. So I think part of that was, it's not like you grew up in the investment. It doesn't seem like it. You were raised, like most of us, to believe that job security, it's not a security. Job's just a steady paycheck till it lasts. Eventually it'll end. Hopefully it never ends, but you can't control that. It's the security of a steady paycheck while it lasts, but it's very fragile, which I think nobody tells us that. And it's also because I was kind of interesting. I was having a conversation with another podcast guest and we kind of basically figured out that it's not a problem of the new generation. It's the problem is our people who are raising us, they lived in a very different generation where 20 years, 30 years, same job with a pension. So they have trained that to us saying that job security, job security, job security, because that's how they grew up. But the world has changed. There's no more pensions. The retirement age keeps changing. Social security is a mess. Everything is right. So it's a different world, but I'm glad you did it at 30, not at 50. In your 30s, not at 50s. To kind of think about that. But I think what I really liked in your story was that you had the patience and the courage to invest in yourself first. Right. Because what do folks say that it was probably easy for you to do that too, Maureen, that I'm going to listen to free video on uh, YouTube. I'm going to listen to podcasts for the next 10 months, six months. I will figure this out on myself, which is fine. People do that and they should do that. But what happens in that whole scenario is you're now looking to, but now what you're doing is if you're not doing that, you're not compressing your timelines. What we do, you do, I do, and people like us do it's not about rocket science. It's not. It's very simple. It's very, very, very simple. Like one of the guys I was talking to the other day, they were talking about his venture capitalist. And he was basically saying, real estate is so boring, socket. That doesn't mean you're dumb. I'm like, no, I have a venture capital fund as well. So I understand what you're saying. The amount of analysis and risk it takes to take that leap and understand that investment is like probably a thousand times lesser when we talk about real estate. So when people talk about stock investing, that they want to buy stock, but they're afraid of buying real estate, I can't understand that, right? Because I'm like, this is hard real asset. It's not going to go away. Yeah, it may be volatile going up and down. It's not going away. And like in your case, you're able to take a nine plus percentage interest rate and still make the property cash flow, mm -hmm. right? It's just a different way of thinking. What's a high interest rate? You can pay 90% interest rate if you're making 98% return. 
you're still making money, right? There is no real high interest rate. All that depends is what's the yield you're making on that interest rate. Just a different way of thinking. And I can almost guarantee most of us will never get us by ourselves. You can listen to as many YouTube videos as you want. You need to be in that room and something changes when you're physically present in that room. Uh, when you're around the people who are not your spouses, it could be, chances are your spouses, whoever, our partner or whatever, or your friends are not at the same wavelength. And so if you ask them that question, and I remember this question, this was, two, was back in 2003, a friend of mine was selling, sorry, a friend of mine's girlfriend was selling a condo. I happened to ask somebody, hey, you think I should buy this condo? Because I had no idea. The response I got them got from them was like a one-bedroom condo for like $210,000. They said, oh, you can buy a townhome probably 15 minutes west from here, and you can buy a townhome, which is going to be much bigger. Wrong person to ask the advice. Because <laughs> I was not looking at the growth and the opportunity. I was looking at, oh, I can buy a bigger house for a lesser money. Because I was thinking about I'm going to live there myself. That was a thought process. But if I talk to somebody who's in the investing world, they would give me a very different perspective. So I love hearing that, Maureen, because I think what I liked about your story, what you talked about is that people complain there's no, they don't have the liquid cash. You didn't let that affect that because you borrowed against your 401k. Most people don't have that courage to do that, especially when the markets are right now. They're going to say, market's down, I don't want to borrow. Market's down, but there's no guarantee of it's going up in anytime, anytime soon. What are you going to do? keep your money in the market, which is going to continue to go down or take your chances and say, "Real, I'm going to buy real estate from it. And you took a loan on it and it's a non-recourse loan. If something happens to the property, you're not going to have to worry about they're not, they can't come back to your personal assets. And oh, by the way, you're buying in Roth. That essentially means it's protected from any uh, lawsuits, which is beauty, right? So I'm, I love hearing that story. This is such a poster story for me that if somebody hears, I'm like, just... Look at that person who took the reins of this thing in, his own, in their own hand and look where they are. Now you have about 2,100 doors that you're managing for yourself and your investors? Yeah. I'm growing at about 350 properties a year, revenue yeah. at 60 million last year. So that is amazing. From somebody who was worried about, I'm going to ask my boss permission to an annual revenue of over $60 million. This is insane journey. So when you look back on that, Maureen, again, before we go into the, the state of the union of this market. Yeah. How do you feel? I have such a huge sense of accomplishment and a significant role model to my kids. That's what motivated me to do what I did is I just had my first baby at that time in my late 30s. And when you live through several market cycles up and down, and I watched my parents who lived through several market cycles and they just put their money in the stock market. So I don't have any control over that. Right. And so right before my parents were set to retire, the market went down. They had to live off less and yeah. their quality of life was compromised because they had no control of their investment. That's what my wake up call was, is I'm like, I'm doing the same exact thing. Like I'm not doing anything different. I was sold on the 401k being the answer to the pension. Once you realize that the 401k was a cheap alternative for corporations yep. who didn't want to pay or pay yep. for pensions, they're like, well, we'll just offer this 401k and sell it like it's the end all be all because it started in the 70s. I was born in the 70s. So yeah. and I started working in the 80s, right? So then you start putting your money in and you think, oh, I put some money in, they're going to match and I'm going to be great for the rest of my life until you wake up when you're 40s and 50s. And you're like, that was a sham. Yeah, that didn't work. <laughs> and so the part that I like is I want to inspire people, my family included, my children to learn different programming. And I like what you said, second, because you talked about, I don't blame my parents, right? They came from the depression area. They were children of the depression. So they learned the scarcity mindset and they taught me the scarcity mindset. Yep. And so there's a lot of us out there that were brought up in the money doesn't grow on trees, turn off the lights, we don't own the electric company. I'm like, well, what if I was part of the, what if I did own the electric company? I want everyone to keep their lights on. It's a different yeah. mindset. Someone had told me, one of my coaches had told me once, Maureen, the programming that you have in your mind, I have to say CD. I used to say cassette tape. That's going to tell me my age. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you have to eject the CD of the wrong programming. Doesn't mean yeah. your parents were wrong. The programming was wrong. Take that out and you've got to insert a blank CD-ROM yeah. 
and program your mind with new ways of thinking. Yeah. And then there's a lot of books. Mindset by Carol Dweck is a great book. But I surrounded myself, and you said this, you have to surround yourself with people that are doing better than you. They're usually in masterminds. They're in groups that are at higher echelons than what I've achieved because then you absorb their mindset and what they're doing and how they're having a level of success. Correct. And they're always developing their skills. Always. They're never not learning. Never. It's kind of interesting, right, Maureen? Because I think it's kind of funny and interesting because a friend of mine reached out to me. Very, I mean, it's a good well-wisher for me. He told me, he's like, Sakit, why are you always trying to make your life hard? I'm like, I don't know what that means. Can you elaborate that a little bit? It's a pretty broad comment. He's like, you know, you're going to be fine. Just continue working at your job. You're going to retire at 65. You'll have enough money. I'm like, all of that is great, my friend, which I think 60, maybe 50, 60 of the person of the population will have that. But there's so many assumptions built into that statement, right? One is really that I'm going to be employed. Second is going to be, I'm going to be employable because I may have a health issue. Third is, I want to work till 65, right? The last one is, I will survive till 65. I have no idea about all these things and none of these are in my control. None of them are. So yes, you're right. You're complicating your life in one way. It's like the same thing looking at it, right? Money doesn't grow on tree. Yes, you're right. Money doesn't grow on tree, but there's a positive and a negative way of looking at it. You can look at it from a limited mindset that's not enough money, or you can say that it doesn't grow on tree. That means it's created out of thin air. Let me make it. It's just how you look at these things. You can look at it complicating your life or gaining freedom. Really two ways to look at it. How you choose to look is completely up to all of us, right? And what happens is we're not challenging our assumptions because we're not changing our ecosystem. And until we change our ecosystem, our assumptions are not going to get challenged. And until they're not challenged, your cassette or your CD is not going to change because somebody else is going to play the same CD for you or same cassette for you, right? How is it going to change? Because if you keep hearing investing is risky, it is risky, but so is living, so is driving. We don't talk about driving as a risk, but it's risky. People, people die. Does not mean you stop. You just take your precautions and do the best you can and whatever's going to happen is going to happen, right? Yeah. Things, some things are beyond control, which is exactly what is, would you lose your job? That doesn't mean you go to job. That's not true. I didn't grow up in this country, so I don't know the parameters of how things, things shifted. I've only been here for 23 years. Of, I have a feeling, my thesis is that Wall Street painted that picture that investing outside the stock market is risky. Oh, 100%. Right. And if that statement is true, who's going to tell you that? If you ask me at a party, is investing in stock good? Hell yeah, it's good. But then we look at Warren Buffett. He doesn't invest in stocks. He invests in companies. Two different things. Mm -hmm. Two different things. That he invests in the company. He's an insider in the company. He's not people like you and I where we go stock trade on, trade stocks on the Wall Street. That's not who we are. Yeah. You got me off a completely different tangent. But thank you for saying that. <laughs> So let's get back on this to help us understand what's happening in the market right now. You said you're adding about 350 properties a year, right? Mm -hmm. First, let's talk about which markets you focus on and why those markets. And then let's figure out how have, given the capital market flux, are you seeing any shift in how you're buying and how your investors are picking the properties from you? Actually, before even that, let's also take a step back and talk about what is a turnkey property. So a turnkey property really is property that is pretty much a company will buy the distressed asset for you. They will renovate it with their own money. They will sell it to you. They'll place a renter qualified resident in the property, and then we'll do the ongoing management. And that's yeah. all fully integrated. So the seller of the property and the manager of the property are one and the same. So that is true right. turnkey. It is all in-house. And one thing that, that I learned, I learned an interesting when I talked to you about my journey is that as a seller and the manager, it's in your best interest to rehab it correctly. I didn't make that connection myself, that if you did not do your job properly, your life's a mess. Because property management is a thankless job. It's not like you're making your millions on each property. Yes, it's a volume game and you can do that. But if issues were found that you could have fixed in rehab, you're just going to make your life a hell, which actually makes the turnkey investments better. Yeah. And then um, they come back and buy more. So you do all, you do the right things up front. You know, well, 
We hire a third-party home inspector to inspect the distressed asset. We hire a plumber to scope the sewer line. I want to know what problems are in there so I can allocate the dollars to fix those problems. I'm not the operator that is. I just want to sell you the property and then forget your name at the closing table and go to somebody else. I actually want to have an ongoing relationship with you so I'm incentivized to be able to perform a quality renovation so that we can defer maintenance for as long as possible for our investors. So they're happy, they're cash flowing, they're making money, they're referring their friends and they're buying more. So it is most imperative that we do the right thing up front so that we can have an ongoing good working relationship with our investors. Yeah, love that, Maureen. So now let's go back to the markets. Which markets do you focus in and why did you pick those markets? Alabama, Tennessee, and Georgia. And the reason that we chose those markets is because you've got significant in-net migration. You've got so good population growth, exceptional job growth, especially in the Huntsville market, low cost of living, low property taxes under 1%. Mm-hmm. The less you have to pay out in fees, the more cash flow you get to put in your own pocket. Stable and diverse business economy, very business-friendly climate. So it's, hey, they're like, come do business in our state. And for that, you get to pay lower taxes as long as you yeah. hire more and more people, right? So it's pretty and moderate weather. The moderate weather helps. So we're Perfect. not paying for Perfect. snow and shoveling removal costs. <laughs> yes, snow. I love all these three markets. I don't think I have an asset in, we have a short-term rental fund where we're buying properties in Memphis, but that would be the closest in Tennessee. But I don't have anything in Georgia or in Huntsville. I was going to buy in Dothan, Alabama, 260-unit apartment. That was the first time actually I visited Alabama and I fell in love with the place. It's a beautiful place, but Huntsville is a hot market. Hot. Very good market. Hot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised you're able to find assets there right now. It's hard. Everyone's there. Yeah. We started three years ago before all the hubbub and it's our acquisition costs have doubled in that market. Yeah. I can only imagine. So Maureen, let's talk about that now, which is the perfect segue into the next topic, which is really more around the markets are good, right? And I don't think the market dynamics have changed because the job growth and the migration patterns are still going towards South and business friendly, right? And all these markets you talked about, they are predominantly there. So, but we're seeing the capital markets in flux, right? Kind of like nobody knows what's going to happen in the interest rate. Is the inflation the right number that's being told? Who knows, right? Nobody knows right now anything. Everything is just unknown. Because you are in the residential space, it doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of lag time, right? Because residential markets react very fast because a lot of that is, unfortunately, the investors have one or two homes and they start to get nervous And if they're not going through a company like yours, they're going to say, I'm just going to cash in my profit and sell it and sell it at distress or whatever, right? So you start seeing these emotional reactions rather than fact-based. So what are you seeing in market? Has anything changed at all or is just everything is a noise right now? What are you seeing? So there's a lot of noise in the market. And I think there's a lot of those, you mentioned kind of the doom and gloomers. Those are the ones that capture the headline. I call them the clickbaiters, right? Yeah. They're the ones that are like, if you actually, I'll challenge some of your listeners, go to YouTube and like, look at the doom and gloomers and how many views they have compared to oh, the, of course. the voice out there is more positive, right? The bad so, news sells, bad always. News sells. <laughs> As a investor, you have to look at things factually and push out all of that noise and really look at some very basic things. In my opinion, there is not a housing crisis. There's a housing shortage mm-hmm. for sure. And if we just look at some data points, right? So you're asking me about the state of the market. I have been through the global financial meltdown, selling real estate, and now a global financial or global pandemic. I'll say it that way. So two major events. And what I have seen, what I've experienced through those two major events is a thirst for owning hard assets. Mm -hmm. I have seen, we had one of our best years in 2020, right? In the height of the pandemic. So I have realized through going through those two events that people will pay for basic needs, which is food and housing, right? So that's just one little thing regarding to the market. The leading up to 2007, if you actually look at the new home starts, they averaged 1.5 million units a year. Since 2008 to present day, they have been at a million and in some years have dipped below a million Mm. units a year. Yet the population is growing. You have your first time home buyers, your millennials, 25 to 35 are entering their first time home building or home buying years. They're going to be forming households when they get married, have kids, right? They're going to need more space that they need to get out of the apartment or living with mom and dad into their own uh, residence. I'm going to layer a few things on here, right? Then you have 
the pandemic that shows up and everything stopped. So listings that would have come online did not. They're starting to come on now, but they did not at the time. Then you have the artificially depressed interest rates for the last 10 years, if not longer. So you've got 85% of the mortgages right now in the United States, they're locked under 3%. They've got 3% money for 30 years. Are those properties coming back online? Are they going to trade up from a 3% loan to a 6% loan? Most likely not. So that inventory is not coming. Then you add in the supply issues, right? So supply chain issues disrupted by COVID. We couldn't get windows or doors. You could not complete a house because of such disruption in the supply chain, plus the exorbitant costs. I have a friend, she was getting stuff imported from overseas before was costing her uh, 5,000, it shot up to 27,000. Now you have a problem even just getting your materials to you because maybe you can't afford to bring them. So you add in all of these things, right? Then you've got rising interest rates that have doubled in 2022. Inflation spikes up and how no one saw that coming is beyond me because you take $5.1 trillion and you flood those monetary Mm -hmm. units in the market in less than two years. Of course, we're going to have inflation. How the Fed didn't figure that out and get jump on the gun sooner makes you wonder about their capability. And so we have a market condition now that we find ourselves in with all of that layering that I just shared with you. The market for me, in my opinion, and what I have seen is still very strong from a demand side from real estate. And because it really does come down to a very basic economics, which is supply and demand. We do not have enough supply. We're at 2.6 months of supply right now. We need to be at six months or more in order to be more of a buyer's market versus a seller's market. And the only way, second, that we are going to get out of the housing shortage that we're in is we have to build our way out of it. Right. I know there's a lot of building going on in the multifamily space. There's a building going on in the single family space, but not enough on the starter home side. Because yeah. pro, post 2008, you had, I don't know if it was three or 4 million units flooded the market, the foreclosure market. Right. So you could buy a house for 25 cents on the dollar versus building a brand new one for a lot more. So a lot of those home builders, they went out of business where they went into the luxury market. So we've been underbuilt since 2008, yet the population is growing. Look at our southern border. We have way more people coming in that are going to need housing. And there's not enough already for the number of people that are living here. So when you look at the supply and demand equation to housing and what the forecast is, in my opinion, it is very strong. Be the landlord that's going to have the property to house the people yeah. that have to, have to rent for a long time because they're priced out of the market right now, either because of the high interest rate or like you said, what is a high interest rate? You know, we're back to, back to normal. This is 2019. We're in the 6% yeah. where we're yeah. now. So it's normal. I think we're all right. conditioned to saying high because we all expect 2 to 3% because we were spoiled for so long, right? right? Correct. We're normalized. Correct. It's yeah. a normalized market. So my projections for real estate are very, very strong simply because there are not enough. We are, some economists are saying we're two to six million units short right now. But the only way that we're going to get out of that deficit is to build. And I think last year we completed one point, so nationwide single family market only, 1.3 million units will be completed. We need to call it four to six million. It's going to take time. You can't build up a house in 30 days. No, no. Four, six months to build a house. So you just think about that and you go, is housing a good place to place a single family rental property is a good place to put your capital? Heck yeah, I will argue that all day long. So perfect. This is a great input, right? And I'm going to be contrarian just so that we can have an argument. Not that I disagree with you because I think this is how we need to start thinking about these things, right? So it's more of like a format. When you hear somebody's perspective, we shouldn't agree or disagree. You should just kind of figure it out of what else is bothering you and use that argument to either refute their argument or kind of strengthen yours, right? That's how you have to have a conversation. So if that's okay with you, Maureen, so let's pressure test that to make sure that we're seeing it from all different angles, right? So one of the biggest issue that gets presented with that argument, and I agree wholeheartedly that argument is correct. One of the point pushback when you get is, well, well, yes, you're right, but the interest rates are so high, 
Now the payments have, in some cases, depending on what house you're buying, it's five to seven hundred dollars more. The jobs are at risk. They may, while they can afford it, yes, the interest rates are not exorbitantly high, but they're higher than before because that's what they're comparing against. Yeah. And there's a risk of me losing my job. Why would I want it? Who would rent from me? Because eventually the rent's not going to grow. We're talking strictly from the investment perspective, not yeah. as a primary residence, right? So when you start hearing that rhetoric. It's a very, very valid argument as well, but you can't argue with that argument. But of course, we need to figure out is how valid is that argument in the markets that you're in, right? I think one of the things that somebody was telling me the real estate's crashing all over. I'm like, I, we're in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's not crashing at all. It has slowed down, but the mm-hmm. prices haven't gone down. There's still bidding going on. Depending upon where, if you're in a $5 million property range, yes, it has slowed down drastically. But if you're in a sweet spot of the entry point is right now, at least in the area we're in, 700 to 1.5. If you're in that area, you can't find a house, period. Because mm-hmm. it's going to get multiple bidding. There's more demand, to your point, right? So when you're looking at it as an investment perspective, mm-hmm. what criteria are you using? While there's a probability, because there's only probabilities, there's no certainties in the world, right? So the probability of somebody losing a job is there. It's not 100%. But it's also not zero, right? So it's somewhere in zero to 100%. We don't know what it is because it all depends upon who you are, what you do, what market, what jobs you are in. So how do you kind of make sure that when an investor is coming in, you're looking from both sides of the coin? Yes, it's strong, but it's also as a risk. How are you asking them to make a decision so that they're not putting a lot at risk? They're maybe taking some risk, but they're not risking a lot. How do you think about that? So I review the fundamentals with them on why investing in real estate, and I show them the multiple ways that they earn yeah. through appreciation, depreciation, cash flow, equity, accrual, right. and inflation profiting. Inflation profiting is a big one, especially when there was a friend of mine that had gone to a family office event. And privately, the conversations were, I'm just trying to get 5%. I'm just trying to earn 5%. Like That was sort of the conversation mm. that was happening. I want to say this was back in 20. 21, 22, okay. so, or 22 yeah. yeah, so to give you perspective, because there was a lot of uncertainty, right? And people are like, I'm just trying to get whatever I can, right? But they were yeah. looking for the minimal amount. And I thought, that's not the right mindset. That's not the way that I would approach sure. investing. But I just thought it was very interesting that that was a conversation that was happening in that private room and private conversations. Mm-hmm. So that scarcity and that uncertainty was really affecting them emotionally on making their decisions. Right. And they were forgetting the fundamentals. So I bring people back to the fundamentals on the way, the multiple ways that you earn. So to address the risk question that you shared that you're challenging me on, there is risk with anything. I'll give you a really good contrast. I think a really good example. So if I was selling turnkey rental properties in Detroit, Michigan in 2008, (laughs) do you know where I'm going? You can see where I'm going with that, right? Right. You had one industry. I'm going to make up the number. Completely. Yeah. Maybe 90. Yeah. I don't know how big it was, but very large portion of the residents that living in Detroit, Michigan were employed by one big anchor employer. And when GM skimmed its knees, that ripple effect through the community was massive, massive. Okay. So the risk that we can mitigate for our investors in the markets that we serve, they're very diverse from an industry perspective. Right. So there's healthcare, technology, logistics, warehousing, distribution, manufacturing of all kinds of things. You would be surprised at all the things that come out of Alabama. <laughs> I learned peanut comes out of Alabama. Uh, Bottling Coca-Cola. Chicken yeah, it's insane. There's, yeah, there's yeah. Automobiles, tires. I mean, right. you name it. Stop signs. We produce it. Right? Or yeah. Alabama produces it. Yeah. So the risk is mitigated more because I know I think technology was getting a lot of layoffs. And actually I had a call today before this one with a gal who's in a software engineer. She's already looking five. She goes, I think my job is going to be obsolete five to seven years from now because of AI. I want mm-hmm. to invest in real estate so I can replace my income in that time. And here she was looking at real estate as her way out because basic needs are something that everybody yeah. needs. And whether they have to roommate situation or families moving in, people will find a way to make the rent payment. They will. They did. They I will. saw it through the yeah. meltdown and the pandemic. Saw it. That's an interesting perspective, right? Because what you're saying is 
let's say somebody does leave a job, right? The last thing they want to be is living on the streets. That's the last thing, right? Now, some people may not have the choice and that's sad. That's not the show to discuss that problem. What we're basically saying is that an investor, yeah, you may have to ask somebody to leave, but there's somebody else is there. And I think the other point is, right, which is also important beyond what you were talking about is really more around there may be some volatility, right? Yeah, you were getting a $500 check. Now you may get $300 check, right? But you have to account for in the buffer if you're, and it's so interesting, the five or six levers that we were talking about, how real estate pays you, depending on who you're talking to, most people apply all those levers in calculating what's my break-even. It's kind of funny, one of my landlord, when we moved to Raleigh, we rented a place and the guy who was renting from is a realtor and we were having a great conversation. I'm like, how are you buying properties here, man? Numbers are not making any sense. Can you send me an underwriting because maybe I'm missing something? I look at a sheet. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So you're looking at your break-even as tax saving, depreciation, principal pay down. I'm like, so you're coming out cash flow negative, but you're making your mind believe that this is worth an investment. So it's really an appreciation place, not a cash flow place. No. Right. I think once you start looking at that, once you start, you have to take opinion from people who are qualified to give you opinion. I've suffered that and I'm sure everyone has suffered that. That's why having you on a show is great because you're qualified. You do this day in and day out. Right. You're not reading newspaper. You may be, but you're no. putting objectivity on top of it to make sure that you're doing it. So you have to make sure these assessments, you have access to key opinion leaders who are basically telling you what's happening in their market. Now, then you have to figure out, you have to put your own thesis on top of it because mm-hmm. of, it's an opinion. That's why it's called key opinion leaders. They're giving you their opinion. Does not mean they're right. Does not mean they have a crystal ball. And you have to understand that. And you're at least combined two or three or four different varieties of information. People who are qualified to give you their opinion. YouTube is not qualified to give you opinion. It's a clickbait thing on YouTube, completely. People are just looking for views because they're looking for monetization. Now, there are some great people on YouTube as well that I follow as well, that I'm sure you do, and they have not seen downturns like we have. They really started investing in 2010. And (laughs) till 2023, all they have seen is up. They have not seen a down. They have no idea how to react, right? This is a shock for them. So that's definitely going to be a doom and gloom that the hell is going to break loose and everything is going to go down. I love hearing that, Maureen. Now, what is the reaction you're seeing from investors right now? When somebody who was, I'll segment that into two categories. One is people have been investing with you for a while and they've bought multiple properties throughout last several years and they've seen up, up and up. They still have access to capital. Are they holding back and being a little bit more conservative with their investments? Less aggressive, I should say. Or the other one is going to be the call you had just now. I'm assuming she's a new investor. If she's a new investor, what's going on in their head? So I always say I have been through, this has probably been the most challenging cycle that I've been through in my 15 years because you essentially had interest rates double. And so when interest rates were lower, it's a feeding frenzy. I mean, literally, it was like sharks in the water. I couldn't even keep inventory in because it's like you put one up. It's been, we were actually timing yeah. how long it would take, seconds or minutes for the mm. property to sell. That's how it was. But everybody comes out when that's happened. Yeah. The real investors show up when the market, it's kind of like what Warren Buffett said, when investors or when people are greedy, be fearful. Correct. And when people are fearful, be greedy because that's Maybe. where you make the yeah. money because yeah. all those sharks went away and then the big fish came in, right? So we have definitely seen, especially I would say in June, July of 2022, when the interest where the Fed was just raising the Fed fund rate and interest rates were trailing or following, actually they were more in anticipation. So a lot of the lenders were actually already bumping their rates up Mm -hmm. in anticipation of that report by the Fed. And so you definitely saw, especially because we have a lot of leverage, people use a lot of leverage to buy. So you definitely saw the sales numbers start to decline. Mm. You definitely saw that. Then more cash buyers started to come in. And then the other investors that were still playing actively now are the ones that get, I'm going to buy and I'm going to lock in because mm. the 30 year fixed is a right. one way bet to winning, right? Because if the interest rates go up, I already have the hard asset. 
And I've had it for more years because there's less competition to mm -hmm. buy. So I've got a better selection of properties that I can choose from. I don't care. I'll lock in at six and a half percent or seven percent now because I know that as I'm holding the property, my appreciation is compounding, my cash flow is compounding, my equity accrual is compounding, and maybe my cash flow is not exactly what I want. But I know as soon as the official recession happens and we see the unemployment rise and we see the uh, inflation come down and we see the interest rates follow, then I just refinance boost my cash flow position but that yeah. whole time i've been earning in the other ways still Correct. building my wealth versus losing it through inflation yeah yeah no i agree i agree with that i think that makes so much sense now the only thing i would probably add to that and i think you may have said it but not so explicitly so i would love to see if i'm saying it correctly it's you still have to look at make sure when you're looking at cash flow you're looking at there's a buffer in the cash flow right and you want to do that to make sure that there's something there in case a drop happens. Because as somebody else can lose your job, if your primary income is coming from your job, you could lose your job too. Last thing you want is to sell an investment property that you believe in because you don't have a job. Because you thought that a $500 per month paying negative cash flow, you can afford when you had a job. What happens to it when you don't have a job, right? And that's where I think someone like you could be a great advocate for them to try to understand what their liquidity looks like, what their net worth looks like, and what amount of risk is worth taking. I'm assuming you do that analysis with your investors. You're not just going to take their money because last thing you want is to take somebody's 100K and they only add 100K. You don't want to put that risk. I can't sleep. You can't sleep. It's just not a conversation you want to have with any investor, right? No, no. Yeah, we definitely take the time up front to find out really one, what's their why? Like, why are they looking to invest in real estate? They're usually trying to achieve some type of financial outcome and they want real estate to help them get there. Then it's when do you want that money to actualize and how much do you want to actualize? Yeah. Starting capital that you have, what's your risk tolerance? Are you risk averse or are you just going to jump in and just go for yeah. it and learn and build the airplane on the way down? Right. So you've got to assess where and what age are they? Right. If somebody is, I'll never forget this one call cycle. It still haunts me to this day because I usually try to find ways to help people because if I can't help them, I've got a resource and network that's vast right. and then I can refer them to somebody that can help them. But this one phone call came in. I can tell, I don't know how old the man was, but you could tell from the voice. He was elderly. I want to say like 70s, maybe 80s, right? Hmm. His first question to me wasn't even like, hi, my name is. He was like, how do I buy real estate without, with no money down? I was like, whoa. That, wow. Out of the gate strong. But I could hear the desperation in his voice. Hmm. And so I started kind of probing like, well, do you have, I was like, do you have a 401k you can borrow from or a stock that you could sell? Or just friends that you can partner up, self-directed IRAs with. Like I was really stretching to find yeah. ways where he could find capital. He said, no, I invested it all with Bernie Madoff. I had nothing. Oh, my God. He was starting over yeah, from at 78 years old oh. with how to find ways to invest in real estate with no money down because he had no capital. It was all wiped out. And that call still haunts me, right? So I approach investors with, how old are you? When do you need the money by? What's your timeline? You have to get that profile of that picture. What's your risk tolerance? And maybe this is for you and maybe it's not. And I will direct you based off of that sort of initial conversation up front right. to determine what's best for them. So it's not about selling a house. It's helping people build a financial legacy and to beat inflation, right? Real right. estate is a great inflation hedge. I was sharing this with the last caller because I was taking her through the math and she's like, wow, this inflation profiting piece is really big. And so I just took it, I just made it very simple. I kind of simplified it. And I just said, look, when you use, cause she was debt averse too. And second, she's mm. like, I don't like debt. I don't want any debt. And I was like, no, yeah. debt taxes are a way to build wealth. She's like, what? Right. And I said, you have to take out good debt that buys assets that appreciate that right. cash flow reduce right. your tax liability. And then I said, your rate of return has to be higher than inflation. I know a lot of your listeners know this, yeah. right? No, that's okay. perfect. Let's repeat it. That's always good. So, so what I showed her with the inflation profiting piece was, I said, keep in mind, you're afraid to use debt, but use leverage to acquire assets due to those yeah. three things. And when bankers lend us money, right, they don't ask us to pay back the loan in inflation adjusted dollars. They ask us to pay the loan back in nominal dollars. Right. So think this way. 
I said, so I took the $150,000 rental property and we multiplied it by the CPI number, which I think is grossly underreported by the government. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we took 150,000 times 5.1%, which is the current CPI number, right? That came out to $7,650. And I said, your mortgage debt balance was degraded by that amount. I could have used a higher number, but I was like, your mortgage debt debt balance was in value was degraded by that amount because everything else is escalating. Wages are going up, prices are going up. Now I said, in contrast, if they had asked us, if we sign an agreement with the banker to say, I'm going to pay you back in inflation adjusted dollars, that $120,000 debt that you took out just went up $7,650. It was a 25.5% advantage to her to use leverage to buy the hard asset completely completely see so but it's so hard for people to get that concept but when you put it out in math she was like why didn't i do this sooner i'm like because no one's showed you i think that is the biggest problem right i think you hit the nail it's not rocket science it's not but you need to know somebody who can help you understand show you the first step after that you'll run but right now, no one's showing you. Everyone's telling you in commercial real estate, there are foreclosures happening right now. Yeah. There's some of the syndicators that have foreclosed over 4,000, 5,000 units. But that does not mean syndicators are bad. That does not mean commercial real estate is bad. That just means that property, how the operator ran that property wasn't the right deal. Mm-hmm. I've followed that story. What has happened is it has been taken completely out of proportion in the Wall Street's because they want to use that as a reason. See, we told you, this is not the right thing. You should have never invested. Just come invest in stock market. You can just see the tone of the entire stock. You know what? Even though you're going to lose money there too, but that's okay. But at least we won't foreclose the stock. It's kind of interesting. Maureen, I want to be careful of your time. I think I have a feeling that you and I can talk at length. So I want to be respectful of that. So we're coming towards the end of our show. I would love to see what are the first three steps that somebody can take if they want to go look at building their rental portfolio and they don't know where to start today. Yeah. And they're looking as turnkey as one of the options. Yeah. So I would say, so the first thing that I would advise would be if it's a couple or just an individual, it's really ask yourself, why, what do you want for your financial future? What does that look like? Right. You got to get that. You have to get really clear on, is it when you want to be, you want to retire early, you want to pay for college for kids. You Mm -hmm. want to make your job optional. Right? You want to have your active income replace your passive income. So the, yeah. the why has the goal has to be crystal clear. Yeah. Because then once you know your why, now it's just figuring out the how. And there's people like me out there that can have a one-on-one and just go, tell me your why. Here's how we build the plan. Here's how you get started. Here's how you find the capital. And some people are like, well, I'm going to need like 15 properties. And I don't know how I'm going to do that. And it's like, yeah. you start with one. Start with one. Got $25,000, you can buy a rental property in Birmingham, Alabama, right? And then you ride the equity wave, cash out, refinance, take out the money, buy a second, right? It may not be on the timeline that you want, but it's called a long-term buy and hold for a reason, Yeah, yeah. right? And so it takes time, but I'm telling you, like, I always get investors to think this way. I go, imagine if you can invest in one property a year for the next 10 years. And let's call it $20,000 buys you a $100,000 house. At the end of that 10-year period, you have a portfolio valued at a million dollars. Hey, you're a millionaire. But it happens slowly and insidiously over time. And no McMahon doesn't come to your door with a million-dollar check saying you're a millionaire real estate investor. It just happens. But it takes just the one. And a lot of people just don't understand how to get started. They just have to team up with someone who can leverage. Like I wouldn't go to a mechanic to get my tooth pulled. You have to leverage the Hopefully not. Hopefully not. (laughs) Other people, right? To help you get to where you want to go. You've already paved the way. And so I would say really kind of getting started is one, having that clear why, two, having some capital, call it. Twenty to forty thousand dollars gets you started. Yeah. Then you just get pre-qualified with the lender, and you, you you team up with a reputable turnkey operator. Wash, rinse, and repeat. Build your portfolio. Build your legacy. Leave it behind for your kids. That's how it's done. Love that, Maureen. On that note, Maureen. Now we're going to towards the end of our show, and thank you for that. Those three actionable insights are actually very, very powerful. 
funny enough, that's how I got started. It's not rocket science. I've been telling everybody it's not rocket science. You just need to talk to somebody, pick up a phone yeah. and call somebody. So Maureen, of course, you've had an exciting journey so far, and I'm sure you're going to crush it in the upcoming years as well. If you were to reflect back, let's say when you were in your 20s or maybe in your late teens, what is one or two of those key insights that you share with that person that could change the trajectory of the entire life for good? Yeah. So I would say every thought, the one thing that I know for sure is that if you let fear stop you, you'll never become bigger than who you are today. And everything that you want is on everything is on the other side of everything that you fear. Walk through the fire because Mm. you'll find out who you are, what you're made of. Love that. Yeah. And then the second thing I would say, if I were to give myself advice, I would say, I mean, I know people that kids have bought, you know, teenagers have bought houses when they were 18 years old. Yeah. I would start as soon as possible. Right. Yeah. Instead of buying my first rental property in my late thirties, if I started in my teens, wow, the difference in. Very powerful. Um, yeah. The power of compounding is just amazing. Yep. And if you don't invest, you can't compound. You can talk about it. Correct. It won't work. Yeah. So last question, where do you think humanity should migrate towards? Back to values and morals and ethics. (laughs) Yeah. Aren't they in lack right now? Oh, we seem to have forgotten those. Seem to have forgotten just taking care of others and being kind to others. And I think we've really gotten to this very divisive, I'm right, you're wrong, my opinion is superior to your opinion. There's not that safe space to be able to have differing opinions, but still respect each other and yeah. have those differing opinions. It's been very polarized and that polarization is leading to division and it is leading to a breakdown in, I think, the human condition, which mm-hmm. is we want to be together and collaborate and take care of one another. And I've seen it, actually, I have to say I, I am seeing it, but I think there is more fake news that is leading to the division of the human spirit. And I would like to see that mended because it is not serving us at all as a nation, as a globe. Well, thank you for that inspiring message, Maureen. We really appreciate that and all the insight that you shared. I know the conversation went in a few different directions, but I think we (laughs) got the point across, which is the most important thing. So Maureen, on that note, if somebody needs to find you, where can they find you? Just SpartanInvest.com. You can find me there. My picture, my bio, my whole team is there. You can look for us there, but SpartanInvest.com is the best place to find us. Awesome. Maureen, we'll make sure that we include that in our show notes below. Thank you again, Maureen, for taking the time. We look forward to have you back on at some point. I would love to. I think we have more to talk about. We can keep going. We do have more to talk about. (laughs) We can. (laughs) It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. I I was just uh, delighted to be here today. Perfect. Thank you. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.